today I want to just talk about the Jesus Revolution and uh, where I was in it and my memories of it and how I looked up to Chuck Smith and how I looked across. Greg Laurie was way younger than me, and uh, uh, but as a hero and a kid was 16 years old, and uh, we've kind of become acquaintances later on in life. He actually come preach at our church once, and so uh, some wonderful people, and I'm so thrilled that this movie is out there, and, and, and I'm hoping that it brings attention to something spiritual that God did that I really under, only understood fully was a move of God after it was over, because when it was over, I realized I'd been thinking I was pretty smart was why a lot of good stuff was happening in our church, and I knew God was in it and something was happening, but then I could really realize it's what you would call a spiritual awakening. I don't like the word revival. To me, revival means reviving a dead church, and I like it in that sense. <clears throat> but when we're looking at something that will shake a nation, I don't want to call that a revival. I want to call that an awakening. I like the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening, things that shape and shake a culture. And the thing I want to point out is they usually start with a hot spot. They start in a church. They start in a group of people, and they spread from there. And as we look at the Jesus Revolution, there were several of these hot spots or, or hubs, and usually it's focused on an individual who then influences a group of other individuals, and then momentum begins to happen. When it happens all at once, like it did during the Jesus Movement, you got to pay attention. In Seattle, it was a West Coast phenomenon that spread around the world. But in Seattle, there was a woman named Linda Meisner, a girl named Linda Meisner. Uh, in Berkeley, there was a group that was kind of a born of the Campus Crusade for Christ called Christian World Liberation Front. Um, in uh, Hollywood, Dwayne Peterson uh, started something called the Hollywood Free Paper. And I want to go back and talk about Dwayne in just a little bit. Uh, I think Dwayne probably had an influence on this, but in Los Angeles, there were love-ins in Griffith Park. And, and as, as a young person, I was rejecting the love-ins. I was in Bible college and all these hippies were getting together and, you know, singing songs to Jesus. And my little sister had come to the college for a little while and she went to one and she, she saw two guys jump another guy and choke him. And she was all freaked out by that. What it turned out was it was two cops and some guy was swallowing, trying to swallow a balloon with heroin in it or something to get away from the police. But I just thought, you know, I was, I was in the uptight church at the time, and I was uptight. Um, but, you know, these things all changed, and I changed. And, and I want to share a little bit about that and, and what we all experienced at that time. In the South Bay, south of Los Angeles Airport, along the coast there, uh, Hope Chapel was the hotspot. In, in Orange County, it was Calvary Chapel. Um, church on the Way came in later, Jack Hayford, and uh, really influenced the San Fernando Valley. There was a, a group, a musical group called Second Chapter of Acts, and they influenced Jack and kind of brought Jack into the movement. And then he became a strength in the movement. And then, of course, um, in in Orange County, uh, there was the split between John Wimber and Chuck Smith, and the Yorba Linda Vineyard uh, grew out of, it was the Calvary Chapel Vineyard. Chuck and John got into a war over Lonnie Frisbee. And and then John joins the the vineyard movement, which was started by a guy named Ken Gullickson. And oddly, uh, when Ken started, it was in West Los Angeles, uh, actually Brentwood, in a house that a friend of mine was house-sitting, a guy from our church, and they, they started it in there. That's the only credit we get is it was a guy from our church. But it was a, it was a bunch of hot spots. There was a thing going on uh, right around the corner from us, almost in Redondo Beach. I, I can't remember the name of it, but Look Magazine are the, the people who uh, dubbed it the Jesus Movement. Time later called it the Jesus Revolution. 
but look, call it the Jesus movement. They focused on Calvary Chapel, and they focused on this little church in Redondo Beach, church about 350 people, that were bringing hippies in off the beach, and people are getting saved and delivered from drugs, and it got national attention. And that's where I began to focus and, and understand this really is something that God was doing. I was still a youth pastor in Granada Hills, California at the time. And so I had rejected the, the, the Griffith Park, Park love-ins. Then the magazine comes out, and it focuses on Chuck. And it focused on these guys in Redona Beach. It kind of softened my heart. And uh, I, I remember some of our young people, we went to a, a home Bible study. And by the way, when, when I began to be a, a pastor, I, I, I was a youth pastor. I was sitting in an office with a suit and tie to be a youth pastor. And uh, things were pretty uptight in the church that I was in. And, and it was, I mean, it was a great church. I love that church. And, and it was far less uptight than the other churches around. But that was just church culture at the time. And so my pastor wanted me, I'd graduated from Bible college. I'd been working with these kids for the four years I was in Bible college. And then I was um, supposed to go and get a, a degree at Azusa Pacific College so that I could uh, run a day school. We wanted to run a, a, a daycare center for little kids. And so I'm working on a second degree and to, to save some money. And I was driving 54 miles each way to get to Azusa. I decided to go to Pierce College in the Valley. San Fernando Valley is a community college. And I was there two days. And the second day, I saw these bumper stickers. And Vietnam War is going on. There's a lot of protests against the war. And uh, uh, there's all these bumper stickers, another student against the war, uh, another mother against the war, another professor against the war, another whatever against the war. And I, and I just, as I was walking through the parking lot, leaving class, I saw several bumper stickers that said another student for God. And it's like, uh oh, this thing's got momentum. I need to join it. And so what really happened to us was we got involved with the Hollywood Free Paper. I'd already learned how to make disciples. A kid named Dan Boyd discipled my brother-in-law, Tim, into the Lord. And I was already discipling Dan and kind of didn't know it. Dan and another kid named Jeff were hanging out at my house every day. And I didn't really understand why they're there. They were wanting input from me. And when I saw Dan have input to my brother-in-law, Tim, then I, I got it. And, and there was this young woman, a young girl, 15 years old, Patrice Grimm, who uh, we, she came to the Lord, but she wouldn't come to church. And so we started doing this thing. And we take kids to the beach every Saturday, but you got to bring your Bible. And you got to be able to say, this is what I got out of reading the Bible. Something that simple. And this girl led 13 people to the Lord in one year. So a little mini movement got going, but a lot of this kind of centered around something called the Hollywood free paper. And, the Hollywood Free Paper was started in that uh, Dwayne Peterson was an unemployed uh, children's TV actor. <clears throat> he had done stuff on a local station somewhere in the Midwest. And he moves out to Hollywood, and he's got a tacky little apartment, and he's right near a big traditional church. And he sees these hookers working the sidewalk, which they do every day. And But one day this pastor comes out and starts kind of yelling at these women. And then he goes back in and very quickly the cops roll up and he realizes the, the police came because the pastor called the police and the pastor should be uh, showing mercy and love and outreach to these women. And so he didn't know what to do. So he, he, he put together this little tabloid newspaper. So think of a sheet of, of, of one paper out of a newspaper folded over twice. So it actually becomes like when you open it up, there's, there's four pages to this one sheet of paper. And in the middle, it was just a, a, a scripture. I think it was from John 15, and, uh, uh, and and it was just written with a felt pen. And on the front was 
uh, I don't know, some stuff about Jesus loves you. And there was some kind of cartoony thing and Dwayne's testimony in it. And he spent $150 and he got um, 5,000 of those printed and he gave them out himself. Well, then other Christians started going, let's do more of this. And so the thing actually got to 2 million uh, subscription. It came out every other Thursday. He had to buy them for a nickel a piece. Uh, they were drop shipping them all around the world. Pretty soon, uh, they're they're listing Bible studies in Asia. They're listing Bible studies in Africa. We had our Bible studies listed in there. There was a, a place called The Wall. Uh, it turned into like an eight-page little deal. I remember when uh, one Rose Parade, Pasadena Rose Parade, and we gave away uh, a, a million copies of that newspaper, and we gave away a million copies of the Four Spiritual Laws. And and then in the middle of all this, uh, Calvary Chapel is starting to boom, and and um, you know, Greg Laurie comes out with that little track, and that made a big change, but that was later. And so I went from where I was at in the valley, and I I was I was kind of, my pastor as a, a boy was a guy named uh, Nathaniel Van Cleve. And Nathaniel Van Cleve had been like a bishop or a district supervisor in our denomination, and he had put Chuck Smith in his first church. And interestingly, uh, that church stayed in the denomination, although Chuck left the denomination, my son later on res and another friend resurrected that church. It got down to 10 people. It's in Huntington Beach, California. And they they grew that thing up. And, and my son, pretty soon, there's a couple hundred people, uh, young kids in, in the youth group. There's 120 in the church now and about 200 in the youth group. And so that that was an interesting thing. The same guy, Dr. Van Cleve, had put, Chuck, uh, put Jack Hayford into his first church. And then later on, he appointed me to where I was at in Manhattan Beach. And so... Uh, th uh, as, as he did that, he introduced me to Chuck two weeks before we started the church. And uh, we had a little small building. It would hold 66 people. <clears throat> we were praying for 200. That would be a big deal to us in, in my mind. And we had no idea what God was going to do through us. But as, as we were thinking about how do we do this? And there's three little Sunday school classrooms, eight foot by eight foot. And, you know, what do you do with that? And we were still in the mentality of cradle to the grave Sunday school. So you go to Sunday school everybody from children to old people, and then you go to church on Sunday morning. And Chuck said, well, he didn't do that. He had a building that would hold 350 people, and he, he would uh, have 2,000, 2,200 people coming to church on a, week, on a Sunday night particularly. But he just decided that he would teach the Bible simply enough that a sixth grader could understand him. And so they only did children's ministry up to that age, and everybody else was together. That appealed to me. And he talked about how he just kind of cruised through the Bible chapter by chapter and kept it kind of light and kind of fun. And, and so we, we just tried to, uh, you know, emulate uh, Chuck. I, I, I didn't listen to a lot of Chuck tapes. I wouldn't do that because I wanted to be me, but I wanted to kind of do what he did. So then we started in Manhattan Beach and there's, you know, I'm still wearing the three-piece suit and the whole deal and the white wall haircut and there's hippies all around. And, and there were 12 of us that got started very quickly this one girl, Tony Corbett, accepted Christ, and she starts bringing her friends, and they're all hippies, and and people are calling us hippity hoppity hope, and and so we saw this divide in the church. The churches that embraced what God was doing uh, grew, even those who kind of in, embraced it but didn't do it, stay still grew. The people who rejected it, oh, they had problems, and so very soon there was a band called Children of the Light that were playing around the South Bay, Christian band. Uh, young kids, I mean, like the leader of the band was 15 years old. They started when he was 14, and they were good. And I had heard them, and I, I began to pray that we could have them come to our church. 
And one day I, I was out and I was I was handing out literature. We made this little um it was the days when when you didn't have you know desktop computers and all that kind of stuff. And so I would use a, a electric typewriter and type up the copy and I you'd use rub on letters to make the 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 headline fonts. And then you could screen a picture, it was called, so you could make a photograph into something that had little dots so that it, would, it could be printed as a photograph. And I made three of these different things. So I could hit this one sh small neighborhood three different times. And then I, I, I altogether, though, I hit every house in Manhattan Beach, 13,000 houses. And I was just putting these things in people's screen doors. And uh, I, you know, I found if I knocked on the door and tried to talk to them, they thought I was a Jehovah's Witness and they didn't want to talk to me. And so I was just putting them on the screen door. But one day, uh, this lady opened the door and she goes, oh, I think my daughter would be interested in this when she saw what it was kind of a hippie deal because I'd changed by that time. <clears throat> and so the daughter comes out. Her name is Sue. And she's already going to our church. And so is her boyfriend, who's now her husband, Randy Bolt who's the leader of this band, Children of the Light. They're all going to our church, and I'm praying that I could meet them so I can invite them to, to come. But th there was this um, this this whole um, uh, thing that happened, and uh, it, it just kind of changed the way that we did church. But more than that, it changed the world. And and it was, it was characterized by these things. There was a, a huge amount of love. A friend of mine had written a book called Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness. Those, those words became really important to me. If, if we think of, I'm going to offer you this package of love, acceptance, and forgiveness, most people are not takers. But if I'm willing to love you and then accept you just the way you are, then you probably are going to want to know about what I am doing and what motivates me, and you're going to find the forgiveness of Jesus. And so we kind of stumble our way through, and uh, we learn how to do small groups and turn them into what we call mini church, and, 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 and add a level of accountability. You hear something from the pastor on the weekend, now what are you going to do about it? What's Holy Spirit saying to you? Uh, what are you going to do because of what he said? And then how can we get alongside of you? And and this began to cause our people to become like little missionaries out into the community. We call it friendship evangelism. And so as as we experienced this, there was this, there was this love, there was this accepting people the way they are. And this thing worked its way out in the culture and things like, and, and this was kind of true of the culture in general at the time, but for sure in the church, is we got away from stuff like designer clothes because designer clothes were an issue back then, not like they are today. They're, they're on steroids today. But in those days, uh, it was kind of like, well, that doesn't matter anymore. And guys that I knew that were into contest surfing, and I'm not against contest surfing, by the way, the guys that I knew that were into contest surfing didn't want to surf contests anymore. They just wanted to get out there in the water and have a good time with everybody. And and and, and a lot of, of, of love was really part of what was going on in the culture. And there was a, an openness to the Holy Spirit. When I came up as a Pentecostal, if you were some kind of cessationist who didn't believe in spiritual gifts for today, we were your enemy. And, and, and we hurt because of it. There was a very good bookstore in Van Nuys. And I, I remember going in and, and looking for, uh, I was with my pastor. I was still a youth pastor. And I was looking for, uh, we're looking for books by Pentecostal authors or charismatic authors because the charismatic movement had come out. And the guy was very open to us. And well, that was a little unusual. Um, but he, because we experienced hostility at that time. And so this guy's very open to, to us and to what we're doing. And the charismatic movement was kind of booming at that time, which was different than the Pentecostal thing. The Pentecostal thing was a little bit lower class. 
The, the charismatic movement was among Presbyterians, Episcopals, when it really got going. And so he goes, well, I have a few books by, by charismatic authors, but you Pentecostals don't write books. If you write them, I'll, I'll put them in my store. And so that was like a big deal. This guy was that open to us. We saw, uh, particularly in what was going on in Orange County with, with Calvary Chapel and, and Chuck Smith and these guys, that uh, people were getting delivered from hard drugs. And so as we started out, uh, we began to pray for people over drugs, and we we saw some really extreme miracles, and not a lot, but we but there were there were ex some extreme. We saw a lot of miracles, but we saw some real extreme ones. And you know, a couple of times I've seen somebody that was stoned out of their brain on heroin, and suddenly they're sober because we prayed for them. That only happened twice, so it's not like you know we're some kind of hot spot, but it did happen. And so you 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 saw adults now, parents of of kids attracted to what changed my kid's life. And the thing began to take on momentum. And then, like I said, eventually it was over and, and we kind of went back to doing church the way that we did. And I think we need to go back and look at what happened during those days, including me, and go, what, what were the lessons? What was God doing that was unusual? And, and, and what should be happening in the church today? I see a church that's polarized and, 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 and political and uh, we've kind of lost the sense of the power of God, the power of prayer. Uh, we we certainly look at people in the world as possible enemies uh, rather than people that we should be. You know, we're we're like that pastor calling the cops on those prostitutes, and we need to go back to a place where we have empathy, like Jesus had with broken people, and that we come for them and we come with love, acceptance, forgiveness, and the power of the Holy Spirit to change people's lives. And so. I want to just talk for a little bit at the end of this thing about the movie, um, the the Jesus Revolution. It was Time Magazine that got, Time was way bigger than Look Magazine. Look called it the Jesus Movement. Time puts a picture of Jesus on the cover and calls it the Jesus Revolution as they reported on it. And it was very positive. All the news media was very positive what was going on at the time. And But as I watched the movie, and, and if you haven't watched the movie, I think you should. I think everybody should. If you're a pastor, you should get your people to watch it, and then you should talk about it and try to learn some lessons from it. I realize that the movie is limited. It's only a couple of hours long, and it can't tell the story of what God did for basically a decade that changed the face of the cult, the church in America. Uh, actually, you know, the big the big events that we were having, we do these big uh, Christian rock concerts, and these things uh, really changed the, the the way that church was done and so the secret driven movement kind of emerged from this and in, in, in a way that i think kind of hurt us but uh that'll happen i wish this series this movie had been turned into a series like the band of brothers because it only tells the calvary chapel story in fact it's kind of a a, a, a biography of greg laurie and his walk with the lord and that's wonderful but it would be so nice if we could have more because there was so much more to it. I, I, as I as I watched the movie, I felt like the the movie uh, didn't do enough to talk about Chuck and, and his history. He had been a pastor for many years. He was in a denomination. Uh, they were doing Sunday school contests, which he hated. He left the denomination over that, took a job as a, a administrator in, in a Christian school, and then began teaching Bible study that boom, because Chuck was a great Bible teacher. And the movie doesn't really underscore that as well as it could. And so then this little church in, in Costa Mesa called Calvary Chapel invited Chuck to come and be their pastor. So they had a nice building. Uh, there was a lot of people, not like what the movie shows. When I say a lot, there were like 200 people when he showed up. And so the thing had grown to, to about 300 people. He meets Lonnie Frisbee in his house, like the movie shows. 
And Lonnie begins, he's just a people magnet, and he begins to uh, pray with people and evangelize aggressively. Uh, Lonnie did uh, meet young Greg Laurie and bring him into the movement. Lonnie did uh, disciple Greg. Uh, Lonnie did lead the Aftergrows at uh, Afterglows, they called them, at Calvary Chapel. They'd run big concerts on Saturday nights, and then they would do an afterglow when they would pray for people, and uh, miracles were happening then. Uh, we were able to hook up with them. We were like the little brothers to Calvary Chapel. I was, you know, learned to teach from Chuck and all that, and uh, we, we incorporated a 20-minute concert in our Friday night, Sunday morning service. And we made a hookup with Calvary. Whoever was going to do their thing on Saturday would be with us on Friday night. We didn't have to pay for the hotels and we didn't have to pay for the airfare. They were carrying the freight. We just paid the person for doing what they did. And it was a wonderful, wonderful relationship. And, and as the movie uh, depicts, uh, Lonnie and Chuck got into it and it wasn't real good. And it, But it wasn't over Lonnie trying to take over the church. What we all heard was it was over the afterglows and over the stuff that was happening, people are falling down in the spirit and Chuck wasn't having any of that. And so they split. Lonnie goes to Florida. He comes back. Um, John, John Wimber is now a part of the Calvary Chapel movement. Uh, he came to Christ in, in, I think, the Quaker movement. And then he um, be began speaking in tongues. And Chuck was a Pentecostal in his early life, at least. And, and so uh, John Wimber had joined uh, Calvary Chapel was leading Calvary Chapel in Yorba Linda, California. Lonnie shows up one day on a Sunday morning. Uh, John invites him over for lunch. This is in John's book. His tells his, his life story. And um, he invites Lonnie to dinner and then invites him to speak on Sunday night. And in John's word, Lonnie stands up in, in church and just raises his hands and says, come Holy Spirit. And people start falling down in the spirit and there's healings. And, and, and then he, John and Chuck then kind of broke uh, ranks with each other. And, and, and then uh, John joined the vineyard and, um, and, and kind of John became the face of the vineyard as time went on. And of course, Calvary went on, did great things. Chuck went on, did great things. But what I really want to say is that this movie is so good because it's focusing attention on something that God did. And, and particularly, I want to talk a little bit about Lonnie here. Lonnie died of AIDS. Lonnie was a broken human being like the rest of us, but he's somebody that God used greatly. And one of the things that I get out, out of just looking at this whole thing is I was all messed up and God used me and uh, I, I met some pretty messed up people and God used them. And there, there was all this wonderful thing going on because there was a, uh, there was a return to simplicity of the gospel, a return to the power of the gospel, a return to the good news of the gospel, a return to the commandments to love God and love our neighbor, whoever they are, uh, whatever they believe, however they dress whatever they think. And, and as, as I look at this, I, I, I see this in this movie. And I think the movie is, is a really good down payment on something that God wants to do with this generation. And I want to leave it with this. I recently spent a week with my pastor and a uh, great guy. Uh, we, I attend a church called All People's Church in San Diego. And my, my pastor is a man named Robert Herber. He's way younger than me. And uh, he, you know, he, he's trying to learn some stuff that I learned a long time ago from me, but I'm learning from him. And I'm so blessed to be a part of this church. We have 57 different nations represented in our church. Uh, we've got all these immigrants, a lot of people from Africa, uh, people from the Philippines, people from South Asia. It's just a, a wonderful, wonderful, it feels like the Jesus movement all over again. 
But the, the one thing about Robert is the guy is an evangelist. And we were on this trip and we were on four different airplanes, four different, air, you know, different airports along the way. And then we, 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 were, we went one night, we couldn't get anything to eat. We went to his bar to get some food. And I, I watched Robert pray with four different people out of, out of five that he met. He prayed with four in just a very, very short time. To me, it takes a long time. I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. But on the way home, Robert said a really interesting thing to me. He said, I'm so amazed at Gen Z. And see, the whole church has kind of given up on Gen Z. Gen Z is the least evangelized generation in the history of the United States. And many of them are hostile to the gospel. And Robert said, it's just amazing because these people are so open and so willing to hear. They just don't understand about Jesus. They don't understand what the gospel is. And when you take the time to ask them a couple of questions and find out where they're at and then ask politely, can I share this with you? They listen and they pray. And so I, I look at this movie and I look at the, the confluence of what's happened with The Chosen, uh, with a, the, the guy that plays Jesus and The Chosen playing Lonnie Frisbee in this movie. I think that's great. The timing of the movie, you know, for however long it takes to make a movie and get all the financing and all that, and nobody could have set it up. For the for the timing to happen just after the 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 explosive results of the Asbury revival, the latest Asbury revival had been several, and, and what we're seeing is that that revival is beginning to spill into secular campuses, and and there are these afterglows of revival that are going on. It gives me hope, and and so I I just hope to leave you with a little hope. And again, I just want to underscore: if you haven't seen the movie, go see it. It's a great thing. It's a great tool to get your people talking and thinking differently than in the groove that we call church and begin to expand their minds to something new that God might be doing.